Hello and welcome to the Company Watch on the Spot podcast. I'm Adam Stones. I'm a data scientist here at Company Watch. And I'm pleased to say we're joined as always by Nick Hood, financial and commercial risk analyst. Good morning, Nick. Good morning, Adam. And I'm also delighted to say that we're once again joined by Kirsten Tompkins of EY Parthenon, market analyst and content creator in their turnaround and restructuring strategy practice. And importantly for us, author of EY Parthenon's quarterly profit warning report. So good morning, Kirsten. Morning. Thank you for inviting me back. <laughs> Thank you for coming back. It's it's great to have you back. And um, Kirsten's worked for over 23 years, at, uh, or she did work at, for over 23 years at EY, uh, where she was senior manager and markets analyst before moving to her current role in EY's strategy consulting arm, EY Parthenon. Uh, she's the author of EY Thought Leadership articles and blog content, providing market and company analysis. Uh, we're recording today's podcast on the morning of Thursday, 17th of November, immediately before the Chancellor makes his autumn statement. So to some extent, all bets are off, but we've certainly got plenty to talk about. Um, today marks the third time we've talked about the Profit Warnings Report this year. Nick and I discussed the Q1 report in May, and then we were joined by Kirsten to talk about the Q2 report in July. Um, so, Kirsten, third quarter report is entitled Predictably Unpredictable. I know it was a very unpredictable time towards the end of the quarter in particular, and it's a real mixed bag of topics we've got to talk about today. But I thought I'd just start by asking 86 profit warnings in Q3. That's That's really quite remarkable, isn't it? Yeah, it was extraordinary total. So that's the highest third quarter since 2008, um, a third qu- third higher than the post-financial crisis average, um, up uh, 69% year on year. So yeah, it's an extraordinary total. And when we, because when we talk about like the financial crisis, uh, the question is, how can it be anywhere close to that total? Um, if you think about Q3 2008, it was the collapse of Lehman Brothers, we were in a recession. But what we're seeing at the moment is an extraordinary combination of challenges, and that's definitely coming through in terms of our data, looking at how essentially forecasts have become unmoored, and we could talk around what happened over the summer. But certainly the the three that, that we talk about, the three Cs that we call out here in terms of the costs, um, it's, that's a definite and was a, continues to be a strong theme throughout the summer. Confidence in terms of the impact on consumer confidence, of particularly of inflation and uncertainty, and then the consequences in terms of the impact on share prices, which in some sectors were, you know, the share price on the day of warning, share price fall on the day of warning was higher than two thousand and eight. Oh wow! I mean, Nick, how did, how does the situation now compare to previous recessions? I mean, we're not quite in recession technically yet, well, but we're not uh, technically in, in, in recession. I mean, I think. Um, uh, I mean, I go back for I go back into the seventies for re- recessions, and of course, I've seen you know property crashes and the financial crisis and many things. It, it uh, I think, in a funny sort of way, we know so much more about what's happening in the economy than I remember in past uh, past recessions, and I'm not sure that um, knowledge is necessarily a good a good thing. Uh, so. I think, in a way, it's difficult to compare what's happening now with what's happened in previous uh, previous recessions, because we have all this this inf- information, thanks to Kirsten and, and, and her work and and so many other economists. But it's it feels like 
it's a mood thing. It's um, it, it's wherever you turn, you see another negative, and however hard you scratch the surface, you, you find it a problem to find positives, and that's not a good thing. It's hard to see a way forward, isn't it? It is, but there always is a way forward. There always is. I mean, Kirsten, in the report, you you sort of highlighted some key drivers of profit warnings, as always, and I, I think that's really where we should focus today. Just thinking about the. Uh, you know, what these tell us about what's going on in the economy. And um, the first thing I would say that really comes across is this declining consumer confidence that seems to have happened Q2 and, and then really Q3. I mean, can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so in terms of consumer sector, so it was a very consumer-dominated quarter. So profit warnings from consumer sectors made up over a half of all warnings, usually around about a third. And a lot of that was driven out of the retail sector and then the knock-on impact from that into the supply chain. But if we talk about retail, almost all of the retailers who warned from round about August onwards talked about consumer confidence. And they talked particularly around kind of changing consumer behaviour. Consumers essentially either buying less or buying different kinds of products because they had an eye on inflation and the kind of impact on on their incomes and and essentially their ability to buy. So we had that. Interestingly, the majority of retailers' warning were mostly or purely online retailers. So there's clearly a kind of an issue there around kind of changing behaviour and maybe companies not anticipating Kind of changes behaviours as we as we kind of obviously we kind of way out of the pandemic now, but we still can see consumer behaviour changing. So yeah, there was a lot going on there. I think it's quite illustrative of what's happened in terms of those kind of consumer um, forecasts. That if we look at like the cohort of companies that that uh, listed in 2021, of those companies, 60 have 60 percent have already issued a profit warning. So it just shows basically how difficult it has been to forecast. The forecast set into 2001 have not held up into in 2022. Staggering numbers in the report. I mean, over 40% of FTSE retailers and 60% of the personal care, drug and grocery store sectors issuing a profit warning in the last 12 months. I mean, that's that's incredible numbers. I mean, Nick, what, what do you think is driving this? <laughs> I mean... Well, I've, I've been a CEO of a listed company, in fact, too, and... I have to say I don't envy the current uh, um, the current cohort because goodness knows it was difficult enough trying to forecast back in the back in the 1980s and the 1990s um, and and now I mean I seem to remember at some point in 2020 some of some retailers stopped issuing profit forecasts on the basis that they frankly simply didn't know and in an odd sort of way what's happened is we've moved through the pandemic um, and we're now coming out of the pandemic into a whole new sea of troubles. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the management are having to forecast, and it's no, it, frankly, it's no more certain, or it's frankly much more uncertain than it was at the height of the pandemic. Mm. So I have, I have a certain sympathy with them. I mean, another, another theme that really comes across in the report is this K-shaped market. Um, what do you think that means for a corporate strategy going forward? I mean, you've highlighted some things in the report. Um, yeah, so in terms of um, the retail market, the consumer market um, in general, it's a highly differentiated market. So we talk about a very high level of profit warnings from retailers, and retailers are issuing profit warnings at 
the same rate in terms of percentage warning as, as 2008. But if we look at where those warnings are coming, there's a, there's a definitely a differentiation. And what we talk about with the K-shaped recovery is the is on the K-shaped market is that certainly there are there's a strong differentiation in terms of consumer spending power. So consumers that have greater spending power are still spending. Consumers at the other end of the of the scale are pulling back more. So you do see a differentiation and it's very important clearly for retailers and you've seen this quite a lot in terms of the marketing going into Christmas that they know how to basically talk to those different groups of retailers. You can't go out with one message. You've got to go out with different messages that appeal to those different groups of, of The sort of segmentation yeah, of the market yeah. is really important. Yes. I mean, do, do we think this is going to be a permanent split in consumer profiles going forward or, or do you think there's a way back? There's, well, there's always been differentiation. I think, it's, I, I think these sort of harsh conditions for consumers probably... Um, magnify that differentiation. I mean, there's a big there's a big difference between a continuum, though, isn't there, and, and sort of two discrete groups. And I think that's that's what well, the I, K I, shape I, is I, about. I suspect we um, uh, what the profit warnings are showing, and what we're picking up in media and general comment is we're sort of at the shock and awe mm. phase of all of this of, of consumers looking at their budgets and saying, "Oh my o goodness, OMG, mm, what happens mm. now?" Um, and and with the uncertainty about particularly what was going to happen about um, support for uh, energy prices, energy costs, I think that will settle. Um, hopefully, the uh, the autumn statement this morning will give some clarity, and then I think people can begin to plan. Mm -hmm. And whether whether it impacts on what they spend in the shops or what they book by way of holidays, or um, the house, uh, the housing market. I think it'll settle. So it's sort of immediate, immediate tightening. Wait and see. Let's get through Christmas. Let's get through the winter. Maybe then well, things, when you think about things what stabilize they, what a little bit. Consumers have been through over the last two months or so, and what you are, you know, what you're seeing is, um, you know, huge rises in mortgage costs, huge rises in cost of living, food prices, energy, energy costs. No, no wonder people have stopped spending. Mm. But but you know never underestimate the ability of the and the willingness of, of the British consumer to spend, mm. so it will come back. Um, I also I also saw some stuff in the report, Kirsten, about um, consumer spending patterns in the in the, the festive period. Um, I saw something on Martin Lewis's podcast the other day about pre-nops. Have you heard of this? So yeah. pre-Christmas, no unnecessary present packed. Uh, has that come through at all in, in the sort of commentary from? So the commentary from consumer um, companies and retailers in particular, I think, is around the great uncertainty. This is going to be a run into Christmas like no other that they have seen because of the World Cup combined with which may change kind of consumer behaviors and it's, there hasn't been much build up into this but yeah there, there may be some change in consumer behaviors but then also the kind of pressure on consumers as well so it's been very hard for them to plan i think a lot of companies so if we look at what happened over the summer in the kind of drop in confidence we saw a lot of companies talking about excess inventory coming into this period and they've been it's been very hard to plan inventory going into this this Christmas. So yeah, there has been a lot of discussion just about the sheer uncertainty 
of how consumers will behave going into this Christmas. Thank you. It's always a critical time of year, isn't it, Nick? Oh gosh, I mean, this is this is the the time when retailers are, are, are made or destroyed, and of course we're. We're heading into what what I've for years referred to somewhat unkindly as the killing fields for retailers, where you have got um, that point at which uh, you know lenders and trade insurers and suppliers are looking at retailers and saying, "Well, the cash rich, um, we they don't owe us as as much money. The uh, borrowings are down at the low point for the year. What happens now?" And banks and trade insurers take critical decisions about their exposure to sectors and retails, one of the ones they look, they always look at. And this will be the point at which the companies that have staggered through Christmas and have had their, their Christmas, their, their New Year sales, their Boxing Day sales, always there is a spike of failures in the, in the, in the retail sector. And so we'll see what happens this time around. You mentioned that you, you think that insurers might pull the plug on some of these companies and that might be the time that they do it. Well, I think trade, in, trade, in, trade insurance is, is so much um, uh, underspoken about. Um, as a, you know, People talk about the banks and what are their attitudes and companies being overborrowed. But there's, well, I think what you, what you refer to, Kirsten, as the sort of the, the soft credit angle. And uh, you know, that is a real worry going forward. I mean, it's it, it's real pressure on working capital, isn't it? And I mean, there's a lot in the report about inventory. You touched on this last time. Uh, you, you sort of gave us a bit of a bit of um, a look ahead to Q3, and you mentioned inventory as being a, a dominant theme. And uh, and uh, yeah, I think that that sort of comes across in the report as well. Yeah. So that's if we're talking, and we 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 wrote in the report about the potential for a cash crunch going into this winter. Clearly, there are issues around inventory and around kind of excess inventory. So there's that. There's that. Companies are seeing more pressure on their balance sheets. Certainly, in terms of kind of the inflationary pressures, and they're coming through on that on their balance sheet. As Nick mentioned, we're talking a lot around kind of soft credit as well and the impact of that. So there's a there's a lot going on at the moment. But yeah, inventory has been a strong theme, starting from the middle of summer and kind of still still coming through mm-hmm. through now. I mean, we we always talk at a company watch about you know how important trade credit is to uh, lubricating the economy, enabling economic growth, and so on. Being able to being able to trade in the uh, you know between businesses, um, but companies in general are finding it more hard to to, to raise capital, aren't they? We've seen r- rising interest rates, equity markets that aren't particularly strong, functional. Yeah, <laughs> functional. And, you know, this all comes on the back of, you know, companies having been more aware of the vulnerability of their supply chains during the during the pandemic. Yeah. So in terms of funding issues, we've done a little bit of work around um, the group that I've mentioned before. Companies have issued multiple profit warnings. And it's clear if we look at their ability to raise equity finance now compared with like uh, a couple of years ago, um, then clearly we are kind of we have seen a decline in those companies, and we can see that some examples clearly of companies who have been unable to essentially find a route out of distress. It's it's hard to get equity funding. It's hard to get bank funding. The M and A market is slow, so those routes out of of distress, those kind of rescues, yeah, the diminishing, yeah, 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 diminishing options. And and, and a really interesting um, issue, of course, is. Uh, and I'm a, I'm 
a long-standing um, and, and committed critic of uh, much of what goes on in the private equity market. But now we've got it. But nonetheless, private equity has been a major supplier of, of capital in, into UK business. And now we've got the problem that rising interest rates has changed the private equity funding model. And so if, if you know, it's quite noticeable that you know, the, the early signs that there are fewer private equity players going into situations because they can't make the numbers work. And that is not that that situation is not going to change. I mean, the era of cheap credit yeah. over, isn't it? I mean, yeah. we've seen we've actually seen quite poor productivity growth over the last 10 years. Do you think there's a chance this this crisis might force, you know, businesses, entrepreneurs to be more, more. Well, better, basically. Well, well, I, I, only if they have certainty. Mm. Business investment doesn't thrive on uncertainty. No, I mean, you will always get the you know the the the, the uh, rampant entrepreneur who sees opportunities in uncertainty. But um, generally speaking, people you know uh, businessmen need to business people need to know where they, their businesses are going, what their markets are doing, um, for them to have the confidence to commit, uh, even assuming they can raise the money, um, to commit to major projects. So I, I, and, and that, without, of course, business investment, we don't get growth. Yes, quite, quite. I mean, when we talk about uncertainty, I mean, one area we've seen a lot of uncertainty in now for almost since the, the beginning of the pandemic is is uh, was the labour market. And... Um, I, I've noticed in the in the in the reports, you know, going going back for the for the whole year and, and beyond, that there is this there is this constant theme of of some troubles in the in the labour market. What what's going on? What's going on with those warnings, Kirsten? So yeah, so we normally see a very low level of profit warnings that mention the labour market, but in the last quarter we saw twenty three percent of warnings that mentioned that, and those warnings would include companies that are struggling to access labour, struggling with the cost of labour, and then struggling with industrial action as well. And yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a continual theme that clearly isn't going away. I know in some sectors it's easing, but in some sectors it's easing literally because they have reduced capacity, not necessarily because they've found the extra labour. Yes, I'm extraordinary. The, the, um, the latest employment numbers included from the ONS included a chart breaking down by sector those the, the the vacancies, you know that key vacancy figure, and uh, it's interesting. Hospitality, for example, there are now fewer vacancies than there were three months ago, mm. but that's because uh, the hospitality businesses have learnt through necessity how to operate with fewer staff. You had some anecdotes on this, didn't you? Oh well, goodness, yeah. yes. Having just spent a spent spent a, a few days in in Hereford, um, you know, delightful city, and. Uh, and, and finding, unfortunately, having booked in to stay there Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, trying to book a restaurant for any of those three nights was a very interesting problem. The hotel had shut down two thirds of its rooms because it couldn't find staff to service them, and had closed its restaurants because it hadn't its restaurant because it hadn't got enough guests to make the restaurant viable. It feeds into the other factors as well. It's caused by and feeds into the other factors. It's almost a vicious, vicious cycle, isn't it? I mean, you've got strikes at ports. That's not helping the supply chains and the costs issues. You know, a lot of the pressure in the labour market's coming, you know, in, in terms of wage increases is coming from the, the cost of living. So it's almost yes. it's a vicious cycle that we're 
that we're in and um you know i don't yes, know how we're going to get out of it and unfortunately new, you know new factors keep feeding into the labor market there's much comment uh, this morning about um working mums and some working dads leave, you know quitting their jobs because they've arrived at the point where the um childcare system is either so expensive or non-existent that they can there is no point in working anymore mm-hmm. so again you've got a further reduction in the labor fo- in the labor force at a time when frankly the economy could do without that mm, quite quite um Kirsten, a, a new theme really for this quarter certainly nothing nothing in q2 about um foreign exchange weakness of weakness of sterling um What's going on with that? You mentioned that hedges were running out. This is a delayed, a delayed. Yeah, so we don't necessarily see the impact of um, movements in sterling directly or, or as quickly in in the figures, but we're starting to see that come through. So it was six um, percent of warnings in Q three. It's eight percent so far in Q four. As you say, it can take a while because companies have. There were no measures. warnings in Q two for no. this. No. no, so it was yeah. There was no. It, yeah, the, the protective measures kind of in place and we don't necessarily see that those warnings come through straight away. But we can look back at previous times where we've seen um, the, the fall in sterling. So during the financial crisis, uh, straight after Brexit um, and where we've seen that it's essentially it hits hardest the companies that import in dollars. So retailers um, in particular and some engineers and technology companies as well came up last time and then kind of major few users of fuel. So especially airlines would, would typically be there. But it is, it is starting to come through now. It will obviously depend on what happens to sterling. I think there's a lot of uncertainty around what will happen in, in the coming months. But certainly it is starting to have an impact now. And is that something you've seen previously where we've seen devaluation and sterling 0809 16 yeah it, it it does have an impact it has an impact the other way as well when <laughs> when sterling strengthens because of the, the currency translation but yeah we have we have seen it before it's not generally the one of the major factors clearly for some companies it is a, a very a very very significant factor but across the economy as the whole it tends to have uh, an impact, an, an impact on individual companies, but it's kind of more the the broader impact on the economy, which may not necessarily show up in individual profit warnings. A company may not mention it, but clearly it would have impact on kind of prices of goods overall, which would then feed through into kind of maybe costs and and other other reasons that they would give for warnings. I mean, in the end, it, it's it's driven by a weakness of confidence in the in the UK economy, isn't it? It's driven by you know lack of demand for exports if they're as you point out, like if there are any exports, yeah, exports yes. um, and also, and also lack of investment in the UK, you know that's why there's a reduced demand for for sterling. Sure. Not a good thing. No, not a good thing. And of course, you've got to remember that that an awful lot of business investment um, takes the form of goods, capital goods that come in from abroad. You know, so sterling is a, the, the the sterling exchange rate is a major factor. You know, if there's a if you're planning a major, you know, new production line, factory, whatever else, the answer is, if you're not sure what what the equipment, which may be a core part of the of uh, the investment, is going to cost you, you, you know, you may hold off. Mm-hmm. You may hold off, or you, or it may cost you a lot of money to hedge to bring certainty into it. It's no longer, you know, it's no longer a cyclical currency, is it? It's it's no. it's 
you know, we've it's seen a steadily it. downward drifting one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, quite, quite. I was pointing out before when we were talking about how there's been a staircase down. You know, first in 08, 09, then the devaluation in sixteen, and and hopefully not. But but look, it looks like it will be that way again now. So yes, um, for, for, for Led Zeppelin um, fans listening, it's definitely not a stairway to heaven. <laughs> Um, if we look ahead to, to Q4, Kirsten, uh, obviously we don't want you to reveal all the details of your report, which we're sort of hotly anticipating. Uh, I, I guess it's going to come out in sometime in January. Yeah, the last week in January. Brilliant. Um, but I just thought you might be able to give us a few teasers of what we're seeing in Q4. Yeah, so I can do that. I think I think the important thing to note is obviously profit warnings are a, a relative measure. So. When we have, as we've seen, a severe adjustment to expectations, as we saw so far over the, over the summer and beyond, you could see profit warnings level out in some sectors. It doesn't mean that the situation is getting better. It's just not getting materially worse. But we've still got a cohort of vulnerable companies, uh, not just listed companies, but listed companies that kind of reflect what's going on in the wider economy. So that's why we pay special attention to companies that issue multiple warnings. And at the moment, we've got a significant number of companies who have issued multiple warnings. So we've got kind of what's happened there. But on the other hand, there's a potential for more shock. So although we may see warnings level out for a while, there's still potential for more shocks. I say that like 2022 has been pretty much like a game of whack-a-mole. You think you've resolved one issue <laughs> and then another one just appears. So or another still, two. Or another two or three, exactly. <laughs> so we have basically a lot going on at the moment still around costs as you say around labor markets we have a combination of fiscal and monetary tightening that we just haven't seen before in, in, in most com- most companies would never have dealt with this this kind of issue so basically there's still that there's still the chance of more shocks there's still ratcheting up of pressure so although warnings have, have started to level out there's still a chance they could go up again and what I'm seeing is warnings maybe level out in the sectors where we've seen a lot of, of warnings and, and profits have adjusted, but we're also seeing a broader spread of warnings across the economy to more secondary impacts coming through. So certainly in terms of funding and funding issues and around confidence and contract delays, um, I've noticed in the last couple of weeks, we've had more house builders talking about cancellations, more companies talking about the impact of political uncertainty. If I look back in my data, I can see that construction companies issued more profit warnings in 10, 11 than they did in 08, 09 last time around. And clearly we're doing this while while the chancellor's standing up, so we can't say what's going to happen, but it's certainly something to watch in terms of like government spending and where any kind of changes in government spending will hit. And and, and at the risk of becoming philosophical, which as you know, I never do. <laughs> um, uh, I, I have a, um, I suppose it's born of uh, too many years looking at what, what management do and, and having been a, a, a CEO of, a, of two listed companies. One of the realities is that for the last two, three decades, all that major companies have ever done is sought to grow. They grow by acquisition, they grow organically. What we're now seeing is a situation here in the UK where companies are actually faced with leveling off or shrinking. That makes me wonder about the skill sets of the management teams in some of these companies. And particularly bear in mind that a lot of the incentives for executives in major companies are based on growth. 
mm. growth in share price, growth in profitability, growth in who knows what. Um, and I just raised the question about how good this cohort of management is going to be at dealing with shrinking their businesses. Mm. You know, how many of them can uh, can actually put their hand on their hearts and say, I understand the old cliche about 80% of my profit coming from 20% of my customers. How many of the other 80% of my customers am I prepared to lose mm. in order to improve profitability? Rationalize the business. Absolutely right. And focus on the and, core. And it's interesting, the companies that have, have constant reinvention and restructuring uh, processes internally tend to do very well. There aren't very many of them. Mm, mm, yeah. So that's my worry. Yeah, it's difficult to turn business away, isn't it, sometimes? Oh, incredibly so, difficult. Yeah. Incredibly difficult. Well, uh, with that, then, I'd, I'd like to thank you both for coming. Um, Kirsten, in particular, I mean, I love this analysis. I think it's so current. I think it's so grounded. So much of, of what we talk about is ONS statistics, Bank of England, and so on. And it's great to have, you know, this really granular perspective of what's going on in the economy. So current, you know, what, what the companies are saying and doing now or in the last quarter. And I, I really hope you'll join us again at some point in the in the future. Nick, as always. <laughs> stalwart of our podcast thank you so much for joining us today yeah, it's and coming been a real into the pleasure office. as always and uh finally i'd like to thank you for listening goodbye